Welcome to the Table Leadership Podcast, where everyone is invited to pull up a seat, and all leaders have a voice to contribute to the conversation. We're glad you could join us today. And now, your host, Sian Edgerton. They'd be like, see on your earrings are hitting the microphone again. I'm like, well, you know what? I'm just trying to look fly and bring the word of God. Okay. So we got to figure this out. Give me a handheld. Okay. Anyways, I digress. Um, all right. Well, we'll jump in then. So welcome everyone uh, who's listening today. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Table Leadership Podcast. I am super excited to be here with a dear, dear, dear friend of mine. We met through another mutual friend and mentor, Joe Saxton, years ago and um, have just remained in contact. A number of us women uh, have been friends for a long time and I'm so excited to feature her voice. Um, she is actually down kind of in like mid to Southern California. And so we were so excited. We were just talking about how awesome it is that I have finally moved to the West Coast. Um, we still have yet to connect and, and see each other in person, but hopefully when the world opens back up again, that will be hoping, happening sooner rather than later. So I'm super excited to introduce my friend Grace to you. So Grace, um, why don't you kick us off by just telling us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do, all that good stuff. Thank you, Sian. Thank you for having me. Hi, everybody on the podcast who's listening. Um, A little bit about who I am. I am a writer. Uh, I work as an editor as well. I love both things. I think both um, are strengths of mine, and it's been really fun to see how my editing has used skills from my pastoring days. So I used to be an associate pastor for seven years, um, and then I felt like God was pulling me out of um, ministry life and then into this writing world, and that has been a journey, uh, one I didn't expect to be on, but here I am writing and editing. Um, I'm also, I used to say I was the wife of a chef because that meant so much to me. It it meant that we lived a very different kind of life. It meant that our lives revolved around food, but my husband who was a chef is now a software engineer. And so (laughs) I can't quite say that anymore. Uh, Um, and it, doesn't sound as cool or fun, but um, it has been a gift, um, particularly because of everything that's been happening uh, right now with COVID and how that has changed the landscape of the restaurant industry. And um, we feel very uh, humbled by how God has led our lives the way He did in this last year. So that's a little bit of who I am. I'm also a mother of two uh, school age kids and they are currently hiding in the living room as we're speaking. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Yeah. This is what it's like recording podcasts in the pandemic is my kids may or may not come screaming through the room at any moment, but you know, it's, it's all good. This is real. Um, And so, you know, I didn't even think about this when, when I first asked you to be a guest, um, cause as you know, one of the questions that I always ask everybody, um, just for fun as an icebreaker is if we were gathered together, you know, around a live actual table instead of a virtual one, and we had got some people together to pour into them and invest in them, what would you be feeding us? And I completely forgot your husband was a chef. And so maybe he would be feeding us or maybe you would, I don't and know. I, I've been, I can cook too. You I can cook. Too. I've, I've been seeing a lot of bread making happening on your Instagram recently, <laughs> which is very exciting to me. So, so if we were gathered together um, live instead of virtual, what would you be serving us? There are so many things I wish I can serve you. Um, so if we weren't in a pandemic and I wasn't making bread all the time, I'd probably cook you Korean food no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, I am Korean American, um, a second gen, meaning that my parents were the immigrants. That's who we call the first gen. And so I've only recently started to appreciate and um, embrace my my grandmother's way of cooking or my mother-in-law's way of cooking or my mother's way of cooking um, and really not being taught by um, my grandmother or my mother, but really being taught by my mother-in-law because we live with my in-laws um, and how that that has really shaped my cultural identity um, and has allowed me to have more stories about um, maybe not my heritage or my family, but of the Korean culture or Korean heritage that I have gained um, 
maybe not verbally through my parents, but through my in-laws. And so that has been really good. And so I probably would make you some Korean food, probably some sort of um, barbecued meat or um, there's something called bibimbap, which is like a mixed rice. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has veg- veggies in it, roasted veggies, um, some fresh veggies, and then some sort of meat. And then you put an egg, on, like a fried egg on top and you mix it all up. And that's what PB means. It, it means mixed. And so I feel like that's like a crowd pleaser. Everyone loves that one. It's healthy. Uh, it's over rice. So it just, it's satisfying for so many, uh, so many people. But right now I really like making bread. So probably make you some bread. And my other thing I like to, um, I want to try making is uh, like a butternut, butternut squash soup or mm-hmm. a kabocha squash soup. Um, that's what started my whole bread making. And so. I'd probably make that as well. Yeah. You probably have to stay at my house. And then so I could feed you multiple times. I I would totally be okay with that. If that, if that is an open invitation, that is one that I will take you up on. That's awesome. Um, So aside from the food stuff, which sounded amazing. And now I'm going to go off into left field a little bit, because you just said something that I think was super critical. I want to ask you to talk about it a little bit. And I know this wasn't really part of our plan conversation, but you mentioned in, um, you know, just learning to cook from your mother-in-law and, and some from your mom and grandma. You mentioned your cultural identity, uh, mm-hmm. coming to terms with and embracing your cultural identity more. And I think that is, um, it's just a, a beautiful picture. And I think a lot of us don't always take that journey for a number of different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but can you just talk a little bit about what you mean by that, uh, embracing your cultural identity and the journey of that and just the importance of that for mm-hmm. all of us as individuals. Right. Um, maybe, maybe I'll start with the fact that I actually hated being um, Korean or I hated my Koreanness. Uh, I don't think I had the words to say I wanted to be white uh, when I was feeling these things, but particularly when I was in high school, um, I grew up over, overseas. Uh, my parents are missionaries. So when I came back my junior year of high school, to California. That was probably the first time I felt very um, othered or less than. I I think less than is a better word. I felt less than even the other Asian Americans or even the other specifically second-gen Korean Americans because I didn't act like them. I didn't dress like them. I didn't talk like them. Um, And so I wanted to do what I I, I think that the gut longing for belonging was I just want to be normal. Um, and I don't think I could have named it back then, but really normal meant being accepted, being, um, pretty, or in other words, being looking or being white and acting. And so I looked at kids who, um, who had made it, uh, Mm -hmm. and who had white friends. And I just thought like, that's the goal is they must've done something. They must be cool enough or, they must have something within them that made them attract attractive to uh, the majority culture. And so that really started my hatred toward my own Koreanness. So it took lots of years of feeling that and then recognizing, Oh my goodness, I have worth. Oh my goodness. I have, um, I was made this way and it wasn't by mistake and that it wasn't a curse. Like the fact that I'm, not white in a predominantly white culture here in the States. And even though Southern California is very, uh, is more diverse, I think, than lots of different areas of of the country, still I felt like I was less than. So my journey back into my Koreanness started with, um, there's another writer whose name is Shannon Martin, and she has two adopted uh, Korean kids. And her... Uh, the older one had written me a card once, um, a thank you card. And he had signed his name, his Korean name. And I just, I broke something about seeing his name signed in um, his Korean name made me think he values his Koreanness way more than I, like I was embarrassed of my Korean name. I was embarrassed and ashamed of my Korean culture. Um, and he was so proud to be Korean. And I thought I have so much access to Koreanness all around me, and yet I reject it. Whereas he might not have all the resources um, around him, but he is so proud to be Korean. 
And that started the breaking of my um, hatred toward my Koreanness. Um, and that, and then the Black Lives Matter movement that happened, recognizing, yes, of course, the African-American community has worth. Of course, they're made in the image of God. And recognizing my own uh, racism and prejudice against them that I grew up with, that I had in my heart, and mm -hmm. breaking that down um, and recognizing, oh my goodness, if they have worth, then somehow I think I had seen white and black as American, but anything other than that is not. Um, and anything other than that then is a foreigner, which I think that's the narrative that we've we've seen and heard um, a lot. Yeah. And so that all of that together, and they came um, kind of, maybe not back to back, but year after year, I feel like God was doing a breaking down of my uh, rejection of myself mm -hmm. um, and, and then building that back up. And after that, we went on a trip to Korea. That was the first time I had gone with my kids. And it was the first time I didn't go with my parents. So it was really where I was the, I was playing the parent role uh, without having to do all the family obligation stuff, uh, which usually uh, made it difficult, I think, to appreciate Korean culture when I was there, but it helped me to see the good things about my culture, helped me to understand more of our history and how we were um, people who were oppressed and still overcame and still um, became our own people and still contained our identity through, through that or retained or preserved our identity. And that excited me for what what that means to be Korean then. Um, and I think my journey into really embracing my culture was through stories and stories often come through food and through cooking. And so that has been a whole journey of where I am now, where um, I'm more excited to even um, learn and understand more of the language or I used to reject very strongly <laughs> any K-pop K-drama, like Korean dramas, Korean pop music. I just was like, that is not of me. And I'm not going to listen to that. I'm not going to watch that because that's not me. Um, but even that has turned around. Not that I listen to K-pop, but there are so many Korean dramas on Netflix right now. And realizing that hearing the language, even though I may not understand it 100%, hearing it is um, still soothing for my soul and still feeds my soul. Um, so there, there's so much of that, like a lot of us who, whether you're of a minority culture or majority culture, we don't want to embrace who we are because um, for various reasons where maybe we have so many, um, our parents are from way back and they, it's mixed and we don't know exactly uh, our history, but there's, the, there's that importance of knowing our history and therefore knowing our culture and how that shapes and forms who we are and how we miss something when we don't look into those things. Yeah, that's beautiful. You know, I'll never forget the time that Chantal, another mutual friend of ours, who I hope to have on the podcast soon, yes. we were having this conversation regarding race and ethnicity and things like that. And, and she was talking about this very thing that you're sharing with mm -hmm. us now about the cultural journey. And I remember her even asking me about my cultural journey. And oh, my yes. response was something along the lines of, well, do I have a cultural journey? I don't, yeah. I don't know. Like I'm just, I'm just white. I don't know. I'm, I'm just American. Mm -hmm. And, um, and she really encouraged me to embark on discovering and uncovering my own, you know, ethnic background and my own, um, cultural history and so uh, it's funny actually my husband and I we both did ancestry.com oh. and so we did the whole DNA you know thing and kind of figured out like where do our people come from and, and it really was beautiful and to then figure out and to begin looking at some of the histories and the stories and um, so I think there's just there's so much obviously it's important for all of us um, but I love some of the things that you brought up about just gosh some of the the um, struggles with assimilation and, and mm -hmm. the feelings that you had about your own journey. And um, I just, I love the way that you shared that with us. That was, that was super, super valuable and beautiful. And I know it was way off script. So thank you for letting me put you on the spot a little bit. I hope that's okay. So, um, so back to the question that I was going to um, ask you about. Nope, actually I'm having a, 
Nope. I want to stick on this for a minute. Sorry. I'm trying to get back on track and I just don't think we're supposed to be. Um, so for anyone who's listening, I guess I just want to ask what, maybe what advice you would give, um, if, if, if it's even possible to do that, I know everyone's journey is going to be different and and it's going to be their own, but for someone who's listening, who really is just resonating with what you're saying, who feels like, gosh, I have not actually really taken my own cultural journey yet Mm -hmm. and, and discovered what my own ethnic history and culture has looked like. And that sounds amazing to me. You know, I, I don't want to try to assimilate with any other culture. I actually want to be who I was created to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that that's a, a difficult journey. It's not an easy one to make, but what, what advice would you give or what recommendations might you make to someone who's really feeling prompted to embark on that journey, but doesn't really know where to start? Hmm. Um, I'm not an expert. Uh, clearly I'm on this journey myself, uh, but I'll tell you what I did. I read stories and I don't think that's just because I'm a writer and that I'm in this world, but because stories contain more than just facts. Um, I used to really, I feel like I'm using the word hate a lot. I really did not like history (laughs) in school because it felt boring to me and it felt like um, we have to memorize not we're, we're not memorizing things that really happened because we're just memorizing numbers and places and um, events versus stories, which have people and their lives and all of that, the feelings of what it was to be human at the time. Um, and so for me, there was a, there was a series of books that my husband had read in junior high. I don't know uh, why he had picked it up, but he had read it during one of his free reading times. And he was telling me that a lot of the things that he retained in terms of our Korean uh, history was from those books. And so I was so curious when I started this journey, what, um, even though they were written for children, I'm sure it would still have an impact now. So um, now I'm I'm blanking on the, the title of the book, but there were three books in that series. And I was, she was the same age, about the same age as my grandmother who had passed away two or two years ago. Um, And I thought, even though she's not my grandmother, she lived during the same time as her. And so I'm sure the experiences were um, maybe not the same, but similar uh, when they had gone through the war. Um, And she actually, the author had immigrated here to the States in her twenties. So even seeing both the, the story of my grandmother, but then also maybe the story of my parents and even me, uh, the whole assimilating and, um, and she went through that. She, she did a little bit of that. And yet she could tell the, not that she holds everything, but she told the span of um, the story of my grandmother to my parents and then to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was so impacted by her stories and I ended up emailing <laughs> because this is who I am. Sian. I end up stalking people and say, just, to be like, I need to make a connection. You have made such an impact on my life. And so I found her uh, and just thanked her for writing the books because it gave me some sort of ground to stand on to say like, this is my story too. Mm -hmm. I know we're not blood related, but somehow because you're of my people, this is my story too. And, um, and maybe that's what we all need to read is more stories of those, of the, of the, of the people who came before us, or if we have multiple um, ethnicities in us, then even to to go back and see and read stories, or um, I even thought like folklore is important. I never appreciated that, but I'm wondering how much of that actually impacted and formed and shaped our cultural identity mm-hmm. uh, of what was passed down. Um, so I would think stories are really important. And because I'm not uh, a history buff and I don't like those kinds of books, I would read novels or I would read um, biographies. I think those create a deeper and more colorful picture of where where we're from. That's so good. Thank you. Also, can I just add food again? Like, (laughs) when we know what... (laughs) No matter what we're talking about, can we just add food as the answer? 
<laughs> Basically, because if you if you not only do you get a visual, let's say you're reading something, you get the visual mm-hmm. uh, or or a movie picture of what it might have been like. But when you eat the food, then it gives an even more rounded picture. Because not only do you taste the food, you smell the food, you hear the food, all of that gives a holistic experience of um, of who we are, of our culture. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, every time I started this a while ago, every time we travel uh, to a new Mm -hmm. country and I'm not a big, you know, like trinket person, um, but cookbooks, every time we travel, Mm -hmm. I get a cookbook from wherever we visited because Mm -hmm. like you said, the, the cultural experience and the the history and the food, like it's all intertwined. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's, that's one of my favorite things to do every weekend is to make something different from one of these cookbooks. This weekend, um, I'm going to be making a uh, bunny chow, a South African bunny chow, which does not actually have rabbit in it. It's a vegetarian lentil based South African bunny chow. But anyways, yeah. um, And so there's this like South African fried bread recipe. So very excited to immerse ourselves in that experience this weekend. So yes, it it does come back to food. So thanks for letting me go off on a tangent. Yes. uh, I have a tendency to do that. So anyways, um, let's talk. And obviously everything that you just said right there was, was leadership all the way, just our identity and knowing who we are. But what, uh, what else do you feel like you bring to the leadership table in this season? When, when I first saw this question, I wondered, what do I bring right now? I'm in a season where I'm mothering, I'm in this pandemic, trying to school my children as well, Mm -hmm. while also working, um, as a work at home mom. Um, and I'm not in any roles. Like I don't have a position right now where I'm getting paid to lead people, but so what do I bring to the table? Um, I do lead, we all lead in some capacity. Mm -hmm. Someone is always looking up to us and we are making impact and we are influencing people wherever we're at. And so knowing that, um, I think what I bring right now and what I, I have a group of girls I meet with, I've, I've met with for the past two to three years. Um, and we talk about, uh, what does it mean to be healthy holistically in every sense um, of our being. And so some, I was, as we were talking, I was thinking maybe some sort of Mm self-awareness of how to be healthy or how to be more in tune with ourselves. And that goes back to our cultural identity conversation we just had. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that is something a lot of leaders maybe put to the side because, um, other things are more pertinent, like how to, you know, lead this certain type of group or how to run this type of program or um, how do we do our best to lead in this pandemic, like we're talking about. Um, But when it comes back to themselves and if they were just in their room, it would be how, how are you doing? And Mm -hmm. are you healthy? Um, And those are questions I think we often avoid because we don't know how to answer them. So yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Self-awareness is a, is a strength. is a strength that we can bring to the table that I can bring to the table. Yeah, that's good. And so, and I think it's, I mean, you're so right. You absolutely just hit the nail on the head because there's obviously all of the external, you know, practical, technical aspects of leadership that we like Mm -hmm. to talk about all the time. But, you know, Joe always reminds us that we lead from the inside out. And so what's inside and what's going on inside really matters. Um, The one question when I talk to my spiritual director, the one question he always starts with is, so how's your soul? And mm-hmm. I, that, that one always just gets me I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know. How is my soul right now? <laughs> it's like the most, you know, impactful question anyone's ever asked me. And so when you talk about this idea of having a level of self-awareness and, and approaching how we're doing holistically, mm-hmm. break that down for me. Do you mean, are you kind of like running the gamut of physical, emotional, spiritual, mental, kind of all of these things? And then how do you, um, how do you practice health and wholeness and self-awareness. What are some of the things that you yourself would walk us through mm-hmm. if you were kind of leading us to a place of health and wholeness? Right. Um, to answer the first part, yes, we talk about the whole gamut of things. And I think things changed as um, as our lives have changed over the years. And we took maybe a whole year to talk about every little aspect, like relationally, we could talk about friendships, we could talk about our families, um, mm-hmm. marriage and uh, and whatnot. So Yes to all the holistic stuff, but also at the end of it, it's funny because I just asked someone today this morning, how's your soul? I'm not a spiritual director, but I know that has been such an impactful and centering question for me. Mm -hmm. And so I often ask it to other people as well. Um, And maybe that's a question we all need to ask ourselves every once in a while is, 
Um, how's my soul? And then I think of how David would talk to himself and his soul, you know, um, and maybe that's part of what it is, is how is our soul doing and recognizing, um, taking, taking the the time to pause and really know how our soul is doing. So that is definitely a question I ask myself and others. Um, the biggest thing that has helped me recently, and maybe you've talked about it with your other guests is the Enneagram. Oh, no, actually, oh. this has come up. It's come up a couple times kind of in passing, like, oh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a one, I'm a three, whatever. But we've never actually had someone that could dive into it. So I would okay. love for you to talk about that. Let's dive into it as much as I know how to. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so I'm a two wing three on the Enneagram, which a two is a helper. Um, and if, for those of you who do know the Enneagram or don't, um, Every number, when you go to when you're in stress or um, in unhealth, you go to a different kind of number, and you uh, have the characteristics of the negative side, I guess, of that number. And then, if you're in health, then or if you're not stressed, then you can go to a different number. So for me, when I'm unhealthy, I go to an eight, and when I'm healthy, I go to a four. Um, and there, there are aspects I think when I'm healthy in leadership. It looks very much like an eight and I think it's still a strength and I still think um, I'm in health. Um, but a lot of times f- for right now, uh, my weakness and maybe others will see it as a strength, but uh, I, can, I can't not see the needs of others. Mm-hmm. So if I see someone's eyes, I will most likely try to figure out what's going on. What, what's happening right now? What's your story? You know? which is why I like people watching and I try to figure out everyone's stories. Um, But I cannot help but see that. And so that works against me Mm -hmm. because the other side of me wants to meet all those needs. And that leads to burnout usually, or that leads to resentment. Um, And so I've used the Enneagram as the way to um, kind of like bumpers for uh, like the bowling alley or or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, If I see myself going a certain way, I check myself like, is that a characteristic of my healthy self or is that a characteristic of this number that I go to in unhealth? Um, And the question that's really hard for me is what are my needs? What would it look like for me to take care of myself? So yesterday was actually a really bad day Um, in mothering and just um, in my mental health. I felt very depressed. Um, And so I really had to take a pause at the end of the day and say, like, what do I really need right now? If I were not thinking of what my family needs, what my in-laws need, what the world needs right now, what do I need? And it was really, I need some alone time and I need to take a long shower so no one can bother me. And after that, I felt better. And so I've used the Enneagram in that way. I I don't know all the ins and outs of it, um, but those two um, bumpers have, have mm-hmm. helped me stay in the lane of what is really healthy for my number. Um, or, or the two other numbers, like an eight and a four has helped me stay in my two-ness, um, and help me see like what is healthy and what is not, because there are aspects of being a helper that are good, of course. Right. Um, and I think because people praise that, right? Like, especially in the church or in the world, good do-gooders are looked up to, you know, like a Mr. Rogers type. Um, and I think that can work against me mm-hmm. because I want to be seen as that, of course. Uh, but then when I do too much and I don't care for myself, then most likely the people who suffer the most are not only me, but the people who are right around me who see the real me. Um, and who see every part of me, I, the real me being every part of me, because mm-hmm. it's not like I'm not a different, it's not that I'm a different person on the outside when I'm doing good things. Um, it's just that that's not the whole of me. Um, so that's what I've been using to measure my health and unhealth. Yeah. That's such a powerful tool. And I mean, kind of with you, you know, I've, I've read a lot of the books and I've studied it for a while. I'm definitely not an expert by any means, but I have personally found it. Um, I think out of all the different profiles and things that exist out there to be the most helpful and beneficial for me, because I think it's been the most revealing mm-hmm. and the most spot on, because like you said, you know, there's kind of your core, um, 
your core profile, your core number, but then you can also see, all right, what happens to me under stress and what happens when I'm healthy. And so the interaction of all of those different aspects has been so helpful. I am uh so I'm a one, which okay. it's, and I've had two different Enneagram professionals walk me through the process. One of them said I was a one, one of them said I was a three. So I don't know. <laughs> I, I think you're I, a three. I, I think you. I kind of go like back and forth. I'm not really sure. I know my wing is a two. Um, but so the three is the achiever. And then the one, depending on, I see, cause see, I've seen it multiple ways and I don't know what you know it as grace, but I've seen the one as perfectionist. And then I've also seen it titled as the reformer, which yes. mm-hmm. I like the reformer better because the mm-hmm. perfectionist just has such a negative connotation to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that absolutely has kind of been the journey of my life and, and leadership and just how much I've had to release and let go of and heal from in order to actually walk in the fullness and the wholeness and the healthy version yeah. of who God created me to be and what my leadership should even look like mm-hmm. um, when I'm not stumbling into all these pitfalls of right. of my wiring and my lack of identity. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think the Enneagram is such a helpful tool um, for anyone who's curious to learn more. I know for me, probably the most helpful book was um, The Road Back to You, mm-hmm. Ian Morgan Cron. Is there another one that you would recommend, Grace? No, but I've listened to all the podcasts that that yeah. has been helpful. Just to hear someone of a different number mm-hmm. talk about what it looks like for them. That's yeah. been helpful to, especially in our, in our marriage, I'm married to a five. Mm-hmm. And so our dynamics are very different with the way we think is very different. So I think hearing, um, hearing the interviews have been more helpful for me mm-hmm. because then I get two different perspectives and then not only, you know, what is a two like, what is a five like, but the interaction, what right. what's the conversations like? Cause that, that was revealing too. Yeah. That's so funny. Cause my, my husband is also a five. Oh, and so, so you and I are, we're close on, on our numbers and I did not know that your husband was a five. So we, we might need to have some more conversations offline about this, this interaction. <laughs> you probably have a lot of wisdom to share. <laughs> so, um, so let me ask you this because I know you have such a pastoral heart. I was actually just thinking, I was telling someone um, earlier that, you know, I was going to have you on and I was talking about your voice. Um, mm. you and Kim, Kim Whetstone, another mutual friend of ours, um, who oh, I okay. had on as a guest not too long ago, a few weeks ago. And it, I mean, it's just so soothing listening to her, isn't it? She's got such a pastoral heart. And I always say like, I feel like a chihuahua when I'm around <laughs> her, you know, like just me, 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 and all high energy and everything. And Kim is just like, she is like shalom embodied. And and I feel the same way when I talk to you, you have such this soothing voice and just such this pastoral heart and, and just softness and steadiness and slowness. Like it's, it's very regal. And again, like I'm the chihuahua in the room, but, but it's fine because that's how God made me. And I'm learning to embrace that. Um, but what I want to ask you as we wrap up is this, especially considering where we are right now, Mm -hmm. um, you know, people are, just trying to figure out how to lead. I mean, the world is obviously in upheaval. Things are changing um, quicker than we can keep up with them. Obviously, you know, I mean, I'm having this conversation with people that things aren't going to go back to normal. It's going to be new normal that we're going to have to uh, adjust and adapt to and figure out how to lead in. And then, of course, in the midst of all of it, you know, people are um, they're in the midst of grief and loss and kids are home from school and they're still trying to figure out how to homeschool their kids and keep working and all these different things. I think there's so much opportunity right now in this season, especially because we're in the midst of a pandemic, for there to be a lot of unhealth and mm-hmm. a lot of unrest and a mm-hmm. lot of feeling of, oh my gosh, I have to figure this out. I have to yeah. keep it together. I have to care for my community. Mm-hmm. I mean, talk about feeling the burden of mm-hmm. meeting the needs of others. My gosh, they are so great right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think someone who recognizes their leadership, who recognizes that they do have impact and influence over other people really carries that burden on mm-hmm. them. So mm-hmm. what I want to ask you is how would you pastor someone right now in that place? What are some of the things that you would recommend to them? Um, if you could give, you know, just a couple like, you know, quick and easy, um, practical application. If someone is mm-hmm. saying, yeah, you know what? I really need to check the state of my soul. Mm-hmm. What would you 
advise? How would you walk them through that? What are some of the things that they can do to actually look inward and assess the state of their own soul, especially right now in this time? And then um, how would you then advise for them to move after assessing the state of their soul? However, we do that. Then what do we do with that based on how I am truly, really actually doing yeah. How do I grow my self-awareness and also my self-care in a time yeah. when our inner health and wholeness is is really critical if we're going to continue to lead well? Right. I <clears throat> resonate so strongly with it's not going to be the same as it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, initially when all this started happening or, or, or when it became um, more of a concern, this pandemic, uh, we were all concerned for people's physical health, and we still are. Um, and then I thought the longer we go, um, I started worrying and being concerned for people whose mental health. Yes. Um, I struggled with depression. Um, and knowing the the state of my my mind and how fragile I was, particularly when I was in my darkest places and uh, when I had a lot of suicidal ideations, um, and how when the whole world feels overwhelming and there are no solutions right now and we can only do so much to control other people and their behaviors, um, I thought that's a recipe for disaster. It's a recipe mm-hmm. for a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety, um, a lot of maybe new, new cases or new experiences of that um, that people may not have experienced because they just didn't have the time to stop. Or now life has forced us to stop um, for many of us. And for some, it, it has kept going and, and that's fine. Um, but one thing I've, I've done for myself is centering prayer and deep breathing. Um, so I've had to, at the end of every night, almost, I've had to lay in my bed or lay on the floor and just take deep breaths. Um, I usually do about three to five. and generally for me, I don't know if it's like this for you, but at the end of the day, I'm running through like all the things that could have been done, should have been done, not just in my family, but you know, right now, like in the world, did I do enough for, for the justice, justice of others? And did I, you know, use my voice well enough? Did I write enough, you know? Um, and I just have to take a moment and recognize what I did do or didn't do not to dismiss. I'm not dismissing anything, right? Like I'm not saying like, um, you know, you did that. It was great, but you know, you didn't do this, or I'm not saying you didn't do this. You totally should have done this. And tomorrow you should do better. And then just kind of sitting in the silence afterwards, but just to kind of just see it, um, look at it in its face, all the things I did and didn't do. And just to say that was what I did. Yeah. And to sit there and say like, um, this is who I am. Uh, this is what I did. And just let that be for a couple seconds um, as I do deep breaths. Um, and I started doing, uh, I don't know if you know, square breathing. I forget where I first saw it, maybe from Brene Brown. Um, but it was just four seconds of breathing um, in and you breathe in uh, for four seconds. You hold it for four seconds. You breathe out for four seconds and then you hold it again for four seconds. So it it, it allowed me to. I think because even for deep breathing, you can totally take deep breaths and it's not calming you down. It's actually ramping you up. Mm-hmm. But the square breathing has forced me to elongate my deep breaths um, and take the time to do that. So I do square square breathing or deep breathing. Um, and then centering prayer, if there's things I, like the state of the world, and there's not much I can do maybe from my home or um, with my resources yeah. and I just pray, Lord, have mercy. Um, God have mercy, Lord have mercy. Um, particularly when I feel like there's nothing, I, I have no control over this, or I wish I could support this family with all that I have, but I, I can't, or I don't have the means to do that. And so Lord have mercy and, and crying out to God and remembering how the Israelites cried out to him. Um, when they were desperate and that God met them, that God came and delivered and rescued. Um, and so that's, I, I'm 
holding on and banking on the fact that even though I can't do everything, mm-hmm. that God, you can do everything. You have all the riches of the world and then some in your hands. And so you can meet this family. You can meet them in their um, mourning or in their weeping uh, over things that they also can't control. Um, so that's one thing. That's a way to center myself. And then in, in, in terms of taking care of myself, I think that's so individualized, right? Like um, mm-hmm. for me, self-care looks like taking a moment, um, taking a moment like in the shower. Please do not interrupt mommy when I'm <laughs> taking a shower. Please, I'm going to lock the doors. And that's a form of self-care for, for me. And I think we've used um, a lot of, we've used actually luxury to care for ourselves when we talk about self-care. Mm-hmm. And in a time when we don't have access to that, like we can't go shopping, we can't, I mean, not that those are all self-care things, but I feel like this is what we normally tell ourselves, right? Like I've had a hard week, I'm gonna go um, do retail therapy or right. I've had a hard week and um, a really hard season. I need to go get a massage, which I highly recommend that if you can. And if you have the means to do that, I highly recommend massages because it's a, a, a very holistic type of healing that happens. Mm-hmm. However, all those things are closed right now. No one can access those things um, except what's in your home or what's right around you. So because we, we're limited, I think another thing um, to have holistic centering and holistic self-care is taking a walk outside. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like seeing green, I'm sure there's some, some some sort of scientific thing behind this research that looking at green things, um, particularly plant life or flowers, is very soothing for our souls. And uh, maybe it's the, the combination of um, visual, smell, uh, and even hearing the rustling of the leaves that yeah. After the hard day yesterday, I took a walk outside and it, initially it was a very fast walk because I needed to get some anger out and I started to slow it down and take deep breaths and I could hear the rustling because the, there was a slight, it, it feels like summer here, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know about you where in NorCal, but it feels like summer right now here. Yeah, it's pretty gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> and it's pretty hot. And so in the evenings, it's perfect. And so there was mm-hmm. that breeze and I could hear the leaves. I could hear lots of birds singing um, and chirping and the smell of the blossoms, whether they're from the orange trees that are in our neighborhood or the flowers that are blooming um, beautifully, all of that calmed me. Um, And so the third lap around the neighborhood was a slower one of recognizing like, okay, it was the day that it was. We have another try tomorrow Mm -hmm. Um, and we can, it, 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 the, the hardness or the difficulty of today doesn't mark me and my mm-hmm. identity, but it also doesn't mark what the rest of the week will look like or um, mark my child for the things he did and didn't do, or she did and didn't do. Um, it's a fresh, a fresh slate every day. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the things that I've been doing in our quarantined and very minimalized minimalistic time to to make sure that I am caring for myself as someone who Mm -hmm. has a hard time remembering to care for myself while I'm getting yeah while I'm holding the tensions and pain Mm -hmm. of the world it's so good and I like I love what you're saying because it's it's simple Mm -hmm. anybody can do it and it's really just about making space, making Mm -hmm. space for the centering prayer. And even in that, you know, you mentioned not, um, not shaming ourselves for Mm -hmm. the way that we're feeling, not carrying guilt for having a hard day, not shaming Mm -hmm. ourselves for struggling with something when someone else has it worse than we do, but really acknowledging and recognizing this is where I am. This is the state of my soul. This is how I'm feeling. And this is what I need right now. And ultimately what I hear in what you're saying is the act of surrender of saying, Mm -hmm. I can't control everything. I can't figure everything out. I can't do everything because that's the thing for me. So I hear what you're saying as a two, you know, you're always giving and doing for others as a, as a helper. 
which I probably should have more of that in me, but I don't, <laughs> I, you know, as the, as the one, as the reformer or the achiever, you mm-hmm. know, that I am, my thing is I can figure this out. Mm-hmm. I can handle this. I can do something about this. And I should, if mm-hmm. I was a good enough leader, if I scheduled and strategized my time well enough, mm-hmm. I would be able to fix this. I would be able to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, I love what you said, because it brings me back to that place of, you know what, I can keep listening and I can keep planning and strategizing and reading books and meeting with my team and figuring things out. And, you know, all of the different things that we're Mm -hmm. doing right now to try to, you know, keep our church services going to try to keep people engaged, all the things we're trying to figure out right now, how to continue living our lives. You know, I can spend all day doing that. Mm -hmm. um, But ultimately, if I am not making space to just lay it all down at the foot of the cross and to Mm -hmm. surrender and create Mm -hmm. space for my own rest, Mm -hmm. I'm just spinning my wheels. And so I I love what you said, because not only does it bring us to that centering place that you talked about, I am making space to recognize how am I doing right now? But even just something as simple as getting out and taking a walk around the neighborhood and just the holistic self-care that's involved there. Because I think that the easier thing is, at least for me, is to Mm -hmm. numb. To mm-hmm. work and work and work and strategize mm-hmm. and try to figure things out and feel like I'm really making progress and I'm doing good work in the midst mm-hmm. of this pandemic. And then I'm going to numb out in front of Netflix and I'm going to sit here all evening when, you know, really what I need is to restore my soul, mm-hmm. to renew and restore my soul. Mm-hmm. And so I love I love what you shared with us. Um, and I think no matter no matter who we are that's applicable. doesn't matter, you know, what your Enneagram number is, what your personality mm-hmm. style is, what your level of leadership and influence is right now, that every single one of us at the end of the day, we're all at the same place at the foot yeah. of the cross saying, God have mercy, like yes. you said, and yes. just responding to that. So that was so helpful, honestly, hugely I, helpful. I also want to add, of course, that was yesterday, the day before I did numb out and I did Netflix, you know, so Knowing, like, you know, I'm not sitting here, you know, just um, deep breathing every day, uh, but that when when I'm aware enough, right? That's the thing. Even for mm-hmm. me, even though that's my my way of being, I I'm very self reflective, and I want to draw others into that. There are days when I know I'm avoiding it, yeah, purposely because mm-hmm. I just don't want to deal with what I see, or mm-hmm. I just don't want to even deal with facing my own feelings or my own shame or, you know, um, my own anger. Uh, so I want to say that. And then I also want to say, I I think as leaders, there's, there's our self care for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, our soul care. Um, and there's a distinction of course, in those two things, but there's also the care for our, um, our team or there's the care for our staff and, or those that we lead that we have, influence over I started doing um deep breaths uh as a group in Mm -hmm. our um in in my in my mentoring group right before prayer and I realized that all of us as we're right as we're about to enter into uh praying that we've we've allowed ourselves enough pause enough space to say oh yeah I am entering into the presence of God Mm -hmm. I'm already there but I was so busy, I didn't recognize I'm here sitting in the presence of God, whatever I'm doing, and now particularly as we're entering into prayer. So that has been a practice I started implementing in the last um, in the last year yeah. of taking deep breaths together and how that invites all of us to take a moment and create space mm-hmm. um, so that as a group, as a church, as a, you know, leadership team we can have have health in that group right because there's yeah there's health individually and then there's the health of the team health of the group mm-hmm. um and I, and I wonder if we miss out on some of that um I mean we can do strategies for sure about yeah. the health of our team but doing centering stuff too mm-hmm. that I don't I think we usually think of that as an individualistic thing yeah. that we do in our homes or in our in our um, quote unquote prayer closets, which I don't like that term. Um, It sounds very claustrophobic to me. So (laughs) (laughs) 
but, but yeah, if we could do that all together and how that invites us, I, I think that's kind of what praise does for me or worship time. Mm-hmm. And when we're singing songs, it's a communal, a communal act. We're doing it together and we're all acknowledging something at the same time. Yeah. And that has its own healing power to it. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think I would recommend not only for yourself as an individual leader, but particularly if you're leading a team or even your family or even your kids, mm-hmm. taking that deep breath, um, deep breaths together. Um, I taught my kids the square yeah. breathing um, because usually when I tell them um, or yell at them to take a deep breath, it doesn't really work. So yeah. we're, <laughs> we're practicing like the slow four count uh, of breaths so that all of us can come back to a place of sanity and love uh, yeah. for one another. So that's really, really good. Yeah, yeah that's good. And, and I mean, like you said, we, we are the ones that are going to model for those that we're influencing what whole healthy leadership looks like. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and it is a huge part of that is soul care and the ability, like you said, to do that collectively is mm-hmm. beautiful. I mean, you know, how often was Jesus doing that with his disciples, you know, in community collectively. And I think that's awesome. And I love um, the the making space that you talked about, making space for all of this. That's there. There we go. Uh, Grace Cho, the, the ministry of making space. That's what I we're going to title this. I love <laughs> it. Well, awesome. This has been so incredibly helpful um, for me. And I'm sure that everyone listening found something to um, grab onto and something that resonated with them. And so I just want to thank you. I know these are kind of crazy times, but I feel like what you brought to us today was exactly what we needed to hear. And the timing is just going to be so perfect um, because of all the different things we could be doing to try to figure out how to leave right now. This is really at the core. This is the foundation. This is what it comes down to. So I just want to say thank you for living the life that you do and being who you are and being willing to take the time to come and share it with us. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Table Leadership Podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to the resources that were discussed at the table today and to connect with today's guest. Remember to subscribe to the Table Podcast and follow along on social media at the Table Leadership. Visit thetableleadership.com to learn more about current courses and coaching opportunities. And finally, you can connect with me, your host, at cionedgerton.com or on social media at cionedgerton. I look forward to the next time that you pull up a seat at the table.